Jesus has said that we are to forgive those sins of all who repent. And when Peter asked if he should only forgive them seven times, Jesus said 70 times seven, that is, as many times as they come to you. And yet the Lord also has said that you shall withhold forgiveness for those who do not repent. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What do we believe according to John chapter 20? What do we believe according to Matthew chapter 18? What do we believe according to Matthew chapter 16? By this point in our confession series on confession and absolution, you should have a pretty good idea of this as you have been making your way through your devotions, you can begin to see that the body of Christ, the church, that is everyone gathered here, listening to the voice of their good shepherd and following after him, believes that it is necessary in the church to use both keys, both the binding key and the loosing key, that we cannot, as the church, figuratively hang these up on a key rung or whatever you, wherever you put your keys in a drawer. We have to make use of them. We cannot forget about them. This is a divine command from Jesus. The church believes that it is both good to give forgiveness and also good to withhold forgiveness according to the command of the Lord. How often have you heard a pastor say that it is good to withhold forgiveness? I have told you as Christian brothers and sisters in Christ that we should be quick to forgive. And I meant it. As soon as your brother comes to you and repents of their sin, you bring to them Christ's word of absolution. But we have here in the church both keys. And you have a pastor that has been called to minister to you as many congregations around the world have been given a pastor to exercise on behalf of the church both keys to refuse forgiveness to those who will not repent. You see, when God withholds from us the things which he does, He does it for our good. And when we have a command of Christ to also withhold forgiveness, we mustn't think it to be a bad thing. For we did not invent forgiveness. You didn't know what forgiveness was until it was taught to you. You had to be taught to say, I'm sorry. You had to to be taught to say, I forgive you. And even as you and I have seen in probably the most recent weeks, we've had to be, be retaught to say, I forgive you, and not, it's okay, no problem. If you're like me, you struggle with that, to say those words. But we are not the ones who secured forgiveness. That was Jesus on the cross. It came by the sacrifice of God's own innocent Son, And the command which Jesus gives to the church, 
which is handed over to the pastor to use for the good of salvation of all the saints, both to forgive and to withhold forgiveness, is just as valid and certain as if Christ our dear Lord was dealing with him, with us himself. Now, as you and I have meditated on these words in the Lenten season, we have seen that it is clear that we must make use of both of them. And I have just told you that both are inherently good in use because they come from the God who is by nature good himself. Thus we consider that even Christ our Lord, who dies, that all might live, also proclaimed that all will not be in heaven. For there is and remains yet to this day people who will not receive Christ as the Son of the living God. We, the church, mustn't act as if the work of calling sinners to repentance and even encountering those who will not repent is somehow separate from the work of God. It is his work. I have seen far too many pastors become public enemy number one because they address an issue of sin in their church. They call someone, an individual, to repent. As you have seen, it is not to push them far away from Christ. It is in order that they receive Christ in the way that he has said to be received, in the word of absolution, in the Holy Supper of our Lord. It is not the will of God to desire man's condemnation, but that does not mean that God is somehow going to lie to you, to tell you that all is well with your soul when it is not well. In the Old Testament, God said, I did not send the prophets, and yet they cried, peace, peace, where there was no peace. We must be sure as the church that when we say your sins are forgiven, that there are those sins which they have repented of to be forgiven. I want you to consider something Pretend, don't do this in real life, but pretend you go to somebody's house and you look in their window and it's evening time. Mom and dad are at home and they're making supper for the kids, but they're not really telling their children no about anything. You see a child in the window, a very young toddler, start to place his hand in the boiling water and his brother right next to him is grabbing the chef's knife and running around. The parents aren't doing anything. They're not saying no. They're not stopping that child. What is your immediate reaction? You probably bust through the window or open the door and yell, stop. Don't do that. Because you have your sense about you. You might even report those parents for abusing their children, for not caring for them. So consider that in the divine scheme, in the divine word of God. When God comes to us and tells us that we need to repent of our sins, 
when you hear it from the voice of your pastor speaking in the stead and by the command of Christ. Believe it. Don't make excuses. Because they're caring for your soul. We believe that your sins will be forgiven. Just as certain here on earth as it is in heaven. But if you, would, but if you refuse to repent, you must also then not be shocked when the pastor refuses to forgive your sins. But we have a command of Christ to serve God's people, to uphold and uplift God's people by the very word of God. God is at work in calling sinners to repentance and in forgiving sins. He is the very best parent who desires our life be conformed to the life of his son, who was always and is always and shall always be perfect. His life was in perfect obedience to the will of the Father. We have both commands from Christ. So I encourage you, if you hear your pastor call you to repentance, rebuke you, admonish you, correct you, rejoice. It is a good thing. Be happy, just as you would rejoice when a parent stops his child from wielding a knife or sticking his hand in a boiling pot of water. Rejoice that out of God's goodness and loving kindness, he has sent someone to you to stop you from inflicting bodily harm, from inflicting harm on your soul. For there is even a greater thing that is accomplished in rebuke of sin. It is the stopping of damages which you cannot see yet, the consequences which have yet to be made known to you. When you are being tempted, when in your mind you are thinking about the sin that you know is wrong, it is not always clear all the consequences that are to follow. We go about, we commit the act, the thought, we leave something undone. And our conscience bears witness against us and the guilt comes pouring over us. And we'd like to keep it in the shadows. We'd like to act as if there is nothing wrong, but there really is something wrong. Sin brings its consequences to bear on our life. Even the smallest of sins we may not think are that big of a deal until we consider that Christ still had to die for it. So we must not downplay sin, not in order to ease our conscience or to pretend that we can be somehow more loving than Jesus. We must meet sin's deadly poison with its only cure, which is the absolution of Christ. We know that sin will divide. It will work its way to drive a wedge between members here in this church. 
just as it drove a wedge between God and Adam. We must meet sin where it starts and put an end to it. We must be about the work of repentance and forgiveness. And that's not just the pastor. We must deal with one another as Christians. When you look at this rite of excommunication, even though it says as a called and ordained servant of the word, I must make known to you that our fellow member, it falls to the pastor at the end of the day to excommunicate on behalf of the church. But you must consider what your responsibilities are as well. He or she was under church discipline and although repeatedly admonished from the word of God, has refused to repent. Following the direction of our Lord in the gospel according to St. Matthew, I and other members of this congregation have pleaded repeatedly with him to receive Christ's forgiveness, won for him on the cross, but to no avail. And they refuse to hear the church. It's not just the pastor. We must do the work of Christians. We must be about the care of one another, in body and in soul. If we know there is one who has been absenting themselves from the word of God and from the sacrament, don't let it go. Go to them. Love them. Seek after them. On Sunday, I'm going to apologize to this whole congregation. I have not done a perfect job of that. I have not done, according to Matthew 18, in every situation, and I know that. For that, I am sorry. But just as I encourage each and every one of you to step up to that role as Christians, it is also for me to do as well. For we are together the body of Christ. We are together the ones who live in the blood of Jesus and at the end of the day desire nothing more than to be reconciled with the Father and one another all the way into eternal glory. The church that is serious about repentance is also the church that is serious about forgiveness. When both are brought together, there we have the whole work of God on earth to forgive and renew and sanctify his people, to be his holy church. So together as the body of Christ, let us take up that work of the Lord to not hate our brother, but to love them enough to speak difficult words when the time is needed in order that they might be restored to the Holy Christian Church and the joy of their salvation, the very joy that we partake of each week. In Jesus' name, amen. May the peace of God, which surpasses all our understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, our Lord.